0: I get drawn for uh the end of acts 4 and the beginning of acts 5. So remember the acts uh the, the the book itself is more in line called the acts of the apostles. So so this is the stories of what the apostles have done and and think about when this took place. So this took place months after Jesus' crucifixion. Right? So these are the stories that happen you know, just after, after his uh, his crucifixion. Um, the book of Acts is written by Luke. And remember that Luke's trade. Each of them had a trade. Luke's trade was that he's a physician. That'll be kind of important in today's message. Uh, Acts one, a little bit of background. Acts one. Remember that they they filled Judas's location. His his uh, role, because there was 12 disciples, so they filled uh, Judas's role with uh, Matthias. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came during Pentecost, and that was Peter's first big sermon. Acts 3 was the healing of the crippled beggar, uh, and Peter's second big sermon. And then Acts 4 is uh, Peter and John were arrested and stand before the Sanhedrin. So right now, we're, we're wrapping up the end of Acts 4. So if you're not already there... Acts 4.32, join me there, please. The believers share their possessions. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that their possessions was owned, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So, Remember that. Uh, so Peter and John called before the Sanhedrin. They're they're in the temple. So this story right here kind of almost doesn't fit. Of course, we know that the the, the Holy Spirit is uh, you know watches over the Bible and makes sure what's written in here is important. So so it has to fit. It's it's here for a reason. So. Um, so some things that kind of jumped out at the page to me when when I was reading it. So at uh, the beginning, all the believers were in one heart and mind. So they have all these things in common. So what is the what's the one unifying fact that was working on them? That they are all doing God's work right now, right? It, it is like the, the early church is, it is its like very beginning stages, I mean, uh, the Holy Spirit probably, you know, a week, couple weeks ago, comes down and and blesses the apostles and everybody else who's around, right? So like this church is on fire, big time, and they're all in one heart and, and mind. So the next piece that that kind of caught me was that no one claimed any of their possessions was owned, but they shared everything they had. So uh, my my oldest son. Um, it, it likes history. So so this isn't communism, right? This is koinonia. There's a big difference there. So communism would be what is yours is mine and I will take it. Koinonia is what is mine is yours, let me share it. There was no directive here at the beginning of this that everybody had to go sell their possessions. There, there wasn't a mandate or, or a directive. It was Everybody said, hey, you know what? We need to raise money. So what do they need to raise money for? Remember that this was in line with the Pentecost, right? So everybody in the world came to the temple to go experience the, Holy, the, the Pentecost, right? This, this version of the, the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. So like the temple is on fire with all these Christians, and you have all these people sticking around, because they want to see what's going to happen next. So you have all these new believers who are here, and they need food, and they don't have jobs, and right? They don't have places to stay. So all of a sudden, this massive collection of money has been collected by the apostles to go and support all these new brothers and sisters who are coming to Christ. Okay? So all of this money that, that gets collected, because there's not a mandate that says, everybody says, you know, go sell your possessions. It was they sold their possessions. It was a choice. It was not a mandate. So um, notice that the, that the apostles have the order right. I love this piece. So their order they have is God, then people, then materials. It, it's hard right now. We often have that, th- those out of line, right? You know, gosh, my, you know, my my house is really important. And then, then once I've got all my bills paid, then then whatever I've got left, then I can donate some money to the church or to friends and all this and that, and I'll go to church sometimes on Sunday, right? So, so, so the apostles have it right. The order is God, then people, then materials. They were not worried about their possessions. They sold the possessions so they could collect the money, so that way they could be honoring the people who are honoring God. They have the order right. And then you get this little paragraph here at the end. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who was the apostles called Barnabas, son of which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought it the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Kind of out of nowhere, this guy, and we're gonna find out about Barnabas later on, but. Here at the beginning of this, shows up, says, hey, I've got this field. I'm going to donate the money to the church. Named Son of Encouragement. This piece right here primes the next story, right? Because the next story is going to talk about, about how you should be giving, what you should be doing, right? So the Son of Encouragement gives both his words and his money to the Lord, right? Son of Encouragement. So I I consider this first chunk the example. Okay, so the first chunk is the example. The next one I called the sin. Acts 5. I'm going to read 1 through 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, But brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept yourself from the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money yours at your disposal? What has made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God." When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then a young man came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Remember the paragraph before. It was not a requirement to go and sell the property. It wasn't. The apostles saw that there was a need for the church needed money, hey, I have these materials. I'm going to go sell these materials. I'm going to go sell this house. I'm going to go sell this field. I'm going to go sell this land. And I'm going to bring this money to the collective so that we can do some good stuff with it. It was not a requirement. So now here you go. We've got, you know, why does Luke include this story in the Bible? The early church was beginning to watch everyone. And as we'll see in the next passage, um, although sin is not a new event, the temple was transformed into who? It was into the people. If you were here for Sunday School, Joe primed my, my message, right? Like, there used to be the temple, right? In Jesus' commitment to us, this connection to us, who is the temple now? You are, right? The, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are the temple. And all these people are watching this transformation here at what was the old temple. So, God's going to make sure that the very start of this early church, everything's going to go right. I'm sorry, he's watching to make sure everything's going right all the time. But here, he's going to make sure that he's watching how the early church gets formed. Right? So, what needs to be pure? The temple needs to be pure. So 5-2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at his feet. So they knew what they were doing. They had full knowledge of what they were doing. What is it they were doing? They were testing God. Kathleen read for us today, Joshua. And that would have kind of been a weird section to read, but I wanted to show you, like, how sudden God can call for judgment. The phrase kept back, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of his money for himself. The phrase kept back in Greek is nezophaziema, which really means misappropriated. That word is found twice in the Bible, one in Titus 2, and can you guess where the other one was found? Joshua 7.21. Now you can understand why Kathleen read that that scripture for us. Right? So it was misappropriated. So remember that uh, in the scripture that Kathleen read that he had coveted the big wedge of gold and some silver and some robes. And he went and hid them. He coveted them. He was was misappropriated. Okay? So uh, in this case here, Ananias misappropriates some of the funds. Misappropriate—that's that's a big word, right? Like, if I misappropriate funds in um, in my line of work, I go to jail. Like, I go to prison. Um, uh, Joe and I um, manage certain pockets of funding: uh, athletic budget, uh, district budget. I oversee the ASB budget, right? So, um, so if we misappropriate any of those funds. Uh, like, I don't just get fired. I go to get fired, and I get a you know, long-term sentence somewhere. So we'll, we'll see what the long-term sentence was here for Ananias and Sapphira, although I read it so you guys already know. So, um, so, so remember that the story right before this was of Barnabas. So Barnabas sells this field, brings the money, gives it to the apostles. He's, he's praised as the son of encouragement. So why does this Ananias' story follow Barnabas? Is it to show that Ananias has an envy of Barnabas? Is he lusting after the pride of public acknowledgment? Is it greed? Is it pride? Because all of those are some of the best sins around, right? Envy, public praise, greed, pride. And this is, this is the earliest part of the church. And is God going to allow that in his temple? Joe was talking about this morning in, in the temple when Jesus comes in and does what to the money changers? He flips tables and he kicks people out and he says, you're going to create this as a den of thieves? Not even. Get out of my temple now. So, so what happens here? Verse 3. Verse 3. Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money that you had received for the land? Didn't the money belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money your disposable? Then why do you think of doing such a thing? Why have you lied to, not to men, but to God? So let's start at the very beginning. Satan filled your heart. Satan doesn't have access to your heart unless you grant him permission. He can mess with you, he can tempt you, he can egg you on, but he cannot be in your heart unless you grant him permission. And then who did Ananias lie to? Because remember, he brings the money and he sets it at the apostles' feet, but who does he lie to? It says it right here. You have not lied to men, but to God. Right? I might lie to my children, or I might lie to my wife, but lying to God? (laughs) Wow. The sin was not withholding the money. Remember, it says right here, the money was yours before you... There was not a directive that you had to go sell anything. So the money was yours before you sold it. The money was after, yours after you sold it. Why You could have said, hey, I'm going to give half of what, it, what I made and I'm going to donate to that to the church. It was not a requirement on how much. But as soon as he said, yes, this was the full price, that's where the lie occurs. And then remember at the very beginning of the paragraph his wife with full knowledge kept back part of the money. So the wife was in on it. This was in cahoots. They were doing this together. So Sapphira follows along in the same lie and she gets what? The same results. Now, who casts the judgment here? Because remember, like most of the first part of Acts, it's always Peter doing a bunch of the talking. So, is it Peter who casts the judgment? No, because Peter doesn't have the acts of, the, of that. Right? Peter doesn't give the death sentence. It was God. Right? God has full control over the situation. It is not Peter's doing. Peter just has it on his heart that he knows that this is a lie and calls it out. And what happens? God takes action immediately. Now, any of you who are, uh, you know, starting in January at the beginning of the Bible and reading through, right, because that's what we do in January, is you start at Genesis 1, and you're like, oh, man, like the creation, that's such a great story, and then like three days into it, you're like, oh, my gosh, these people are idiots, Like, like, how can you do this, like, how is it that you can, like, all of the sin and all the nastiness, right, so then God's like, okay, like, uh, okay I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start over. Put everybody in the boat. We're going to we'll clean the slate, and we'll ship you over here. Right? And then I'll promise I won't do it ever again, and I'm going to build this rainbow, and I'm going to promise I won't wipe out the earth again. And then you get to Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, if there's 50 people, you won't burn it. God's like, yeah, I won't burn it. Well, what if there's 45? I won't burn it. Well, what if there's 40? Okay. Right, so look at, in, in, like, in Genesis, like, if you've been reading along with me, you're almost at the end of Genesis, how frequently does God delay his wrath, right? When we screw up, do we get our punishment right away, or does he give us lots and lots of time to repent, and lots and lots of time to learn, and lots and lots of stories to read, right? Because if I got held accountable for everything that I'd done wrong, nobody would be up here preaching, Not, not today. Ananias, he walks in, he drops off the money at his feet, and 30 seconds later, he's in the ground. So can God take immediate action? Absolutely. And I think this story is here in the Bible because they wanted to make sure that they got the early church right. That they understood how the first part of the church was going to be designed. Because churches don't get destroyed from outside in. They get destroyed from inside out. Churches don't fall apart outside in. They fall apart inside out. So you have two people who are going to come and claim praise. They want the public recognition. They want the pride. They have the greed and say, yeah, this is the full price that we got for it. And God said, nope. So so the first part was about the believers coming and selling their, their possessions, and you get to meet about Barnabas. And the second chunk is Ananias, Sapphira. And the third chunk I got was the apostles healing many. Look at verses 12 through 16 with me. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believers in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and the mats so that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the town around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. So Joe talks about in Mark as we're studying in Sunday school, and if I haven't already highlighted, I would really encourage you, um, obviously not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, to come to Sunday school. Um, so we talk about this Mark hand sandwich where there's a story, there's an interlude, and there's another story. So I think that that kind of fits with what happens today. right? You have all the believers gathering, selling their materials, bringing the money in. For who? All the new believers. Then you have this story about Ananias and Sapphira and their sin. And then the apostles healing many and... The church continuing to grow. Right? Which is why they needed the money. So the all three sections link together, but but the Ananias and Sapphira kind of like capsulize right in the center. Kind of it's kind of weird how it fits. So where are the uh, where's Peter right here in this part of the Bible? Where's Peter at? It tells you right here. Right, that the believers used to meet in Solomon's colonnade, and where Solomon's colonnade at? In the temple. So they're still meeting in the temple. They're still going and doing their their uh, temple prayers. Um, they're still following uh, the the Jewish rules. Section or uh, verse fourteen, it says more and more people joined. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. That's the reason why they needed this money, because you had so many people coming to the temple hearing about these amazing things that are going on that, that you're going to need additional resources. So what were these people then doing? Look at chapter verse 15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. So, does, does Peter have the authority to go and heal? Does, does he have the physical ability to heal? That authority lies in Jesus. Jesus. But how is it that these sick, tormented by evil spirits, sick, how are these being healed? And remember, at the very beginning of my sermon, remember who wrote this section of the, the Bible? Luke. And what was Luke's profession? Physician. So he's going to really notice these pieces, right? And he's going to go and confirm that these people are healed, so, so health and sickness and, and this is, is really going to be like really in tune to what Luke is going to be looking at. So, th- there's another story about miraculous healing. Well, there's a bunch of them in the Bible, but the one that I really like is in Mark. Mark 5. Anyone remember what happens in Mark 5? Mark 5, verses 21 through 20 or through 34. Uh, not Jairus' healing. Close though. Jesus is walking through the through the the streets, and this woman walks up to him and does what? Touches his cloak. Does Jesus wear magic clothes? No. Was there anything magic about his garment? No. In fact, I would assume that Jesus' garment was was as low rent as it could be because Jesus didn't care about materials. He cares about God and people. He doesn't care about materials. So what's magic about Jesus' cloak? Nothing. But this woman who's been bleeding for years believes in him and reaches out and touches it. And what happens? She stops bleeding immediately. What do those two have in common? It's about the Belief. It has nothing to do with Peter's shadow. It has nothing to do with Jesus' cloak. It has to believe in what those represent. I'm going to reach out to Jesus, and I'm going to believe that he can heal me, and she was healed. I'm going to believe that Jesus is going to heal these individuals who are sick and tormented by evil spirits just because Peter's shadow crosses over them, and they are healed. It is the belief, it's the deep belief in Jesus that allows that to happen. Both of those are signs of faith, not magic. So again, Luke's a physician. These are going to be things that he's really going to be attuned to. Notice that although the Great Commission says that he's going to send everybody out, that right? they're going to go out to all nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, beyond. But what's happening right now? The reverse of that's happening. They're not all going out. They're all coming in. Right? All of these people are coming to the temple. This is becoming the hotbed of the church right now. All of a sudden, all of these amazing things are going on. Right? It says, No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men believed in the Lord and were added to their number. They believed. It's that belief in Jesus. So you have all these people coming to the temple, one, because it was Pentecost, two, because all of a sudden these amazing things are happening. right? So if that's where where we're going to go get healed, I'm going to bring the sick and we're going to put them in there and we're going to see if if Peter's shadow covers them over. But because I believe in Jesus, these are healed. Right, later on, we're going to hear that, like, they even take a uh, uh, cloth from like a handkerchief of, of Peter's, and they, you know, they bring it to people and then healed. So today's message started out with stories of believers selling materials and bringing the money together to help the church. A specific instruction to Barnabas who also sold his property, right? So we've got the we're going to bring all the money in and, and an introduction to Barnabas. Then we meet Ananias and Sapphira. And how quickly was their sin managed, radically by God. This time he didn't give them, you know, years and years to repent and resolve this. Right? One of my favorite stories in the Bible is that Moses doesn't get to make it into the promised land. Because he's so ticked off at the people for being stiff-necked for so long that instead of praying, he smacks the rock with his stick. And years and years later, his punishment is that he doesn't get to go into the, the promised land. Ananias and Sapphira walk in, and within minutes, they're gone. So this is a rare case. God has been shown to give us lots and lots of chances to repent where the effects of our sin has played out over years or centuries. But do Ananias' sins still occur today? Do we look for righteous praise when we haven't earned it? Do we read the Bible as much as we claim? Do we pray as much as we claim? Do we have it all together as much as we claim? Because I can answer no to all four of those. And I'm glad that I'm not struck dead right now in front of you and for the rest of the guys to go and carry me out and bury me. And why? Why? because it's God's timing God's calling I don't have to have the answer on why on most of the time I just have to believe that's what the end of this section here right at the beginning of chapter 5 it's about the belief the person we need to be honest with already knows your heart like I said I could lie to my kids. I could lie to my wife. But why would you ever think that you could lie to God? It's not like he's in some closet that you open up and visit with him every once in a while. He is with you always. Right? If you've accepted the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross to forgive our sins, that means that Jesus has completed that transaction, and that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and that God is with you always. So lying to Him, that like it doesn't even seem physically possible, and yet we try it all the time. It it, it doesn't seem like it. it like I'm a scientist, right? I'm a physicist. Like, 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 logically, it cannot ever make sense, and yet I try and do it daily. It, it just, it doesn't make sense because God is with you all the time. God's looking for you to be good and right. But the best part is that he knows that you can't. Not that you won't. But that you can't. That's different. Won't is a choice. Can't isn't. See, this earth is covered with sin. So we can't be right. Doesn't mean that we're not supposed to try our hardest. But we can't. Because this earth is covered in sin. Watch the news for 30 seconds. Read the newspaper. I don't do either of them. I I can't. Right? God's wanting us to do right, but he knows that he can't. But what is he wanting us to do? He's wanting you to believe. Believe. He's wanting you to believe so much that a person's shadow will kill you. He wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that reaching out and touching a cloak will stop your bleeding. That's what he wants. He wants you to believe unconditionally in him. God wants your faith in him and the actions of his son to be good enough. That's all he wants. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your pride. He doesn't want you to go sell your stuff. That's not what he wants. He wants you to believe in him. And that's good enough. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we just know that we aren't going to be good enough. And that's the reasoning why you gave us your son. Because if we tried to figure out how to get to heaven, <laughs> like we could, all we do is look silly and stupid. Because it's not about what we did. It's about what Jesus did. Jesus came to this earth, experienced all of the frustration, all of the sin, all of the, all of the humanness that is here, Lord that Jesus understands what it means to be both God and man. He got it. He was here, and he did it. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the lamb that was brought before the slaughter. Lord, and, he, and you used that sacrifice to redeem your people to you. Lord, I pray about that often only because it just doesn't make sense to me. Why would you want us? A fallen, corrupt, just stupid people. Lord, but because you love us unconditionally, you just want that fellowship, Lord, and that's what we should be craving from you daily. It's that fellowship. You're with you, us all of the time, Lord, and I just pray that we continue to grow in understanding that because of what Jesus did on the cross, Because he was the perfect sacrifice, we have access to you. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. That's only done by you. Lord, the access to the Holy of Holies is now for everyone. I just ask that you continue to remind us that that, that you gave up your son for us. You gave up your son for me. So that I have access to you. So that my relationship with you can continue to grow. That you can continue to guide me. And that I can continue to grow more and more like you. Lord, we're not going to get there. I'm not going to get there. Lord, but my heart needs to be to be more and more like Jesus daily. Lord, thank you so very much for this section of the Bible. Lord, thank you for your servant, Luke, who took the time to write it. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit who made sure that it is in the Bible, Lord, and for this opportunity for us as a church to continue to work through it. Lord, thank you so very much for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.